Praise the Lord. Before we get into our passage this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that we are not alone, but Lord, that You go with us, and You are always with us. Lord, I pray today as we come to the close of this book of Jonah, Lord, that we would be moved by Your compassion and Your mercy. Lord, let us see Your unyielding grace as it is evident in our own lives. And Lord, let us see Your unyielding grace be compelled to take that grace, to show that grace to this lost and dying world. Lord, give us a heart for boundless evangelism. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue or finish up. Our study in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. You can turn in your Bibles there. We wrap up God's unwilling prophet and God's unyielding grace. And today we see, oh, the glory of God's unyielding grace as we finish up this book. And today as we finish up this book, we see this, a call to boundless evangelism a call to boundless evangelism and as we think about the book of Jonah and as we close it out really we get to the the end of it and Jonah being a a narrative it comes to this final climax in the book and what we see today is that final climax before it is resolved and it's resolved with a lingering question And so we really get to the heart of the book today as we finish up, as we wrap up the book. And so as we we get to the end and as we we think about what the book is for, what's its purpose as a whole. And so to understand that, to really get at the heart of the book of Jonah and at the heart of this question that we're left with at the end of of the book of Jonah, we need to go back and think about the book as a whole. So as we think about that, where did the book begin? Where did it begin? Well, it began with a commission from the Lord to Jonah, his prophet. This prophet that God had already used in the the land of Israel, in the nation of Israel during a time of prosperity. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so God's word came to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against it. 
God had commissioned Jonah to do a job, to do a task. Here was his prophet whom he had already used to, to call out his word, to proclaim his word in Israel. And now the prophet comes and God says, go to Nineveh. But what does Jonah do? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Instead of obeying the Lord, what did Jonah do? Jonah rebelled against the Lord. He committed high treason. He committed high treason. He, he did not want to do what the Lord called him to do. He sinned against the Lord. He rebelled against the Lord. And he fled to Tarshish, that furthest point on the map that he could find to get away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah sinned against God. But what happened? Did he escape the presence of the Lord? Well, of course not. Because we see that uh, God cannot be escaped. God is sovereign. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's sovereign over all things. And so as Jonah tries to flee the presence of the Lord, God finds him out there on that ship, out in the middle of the sea, and God causes a great wind to blow across the sea. Amazing that all of nature... <laughs> obeys the word of the Lord except for us. We want to run and disobey the word of the Lord while all of nature does exactly what nature is supposed to do, obey its creator. And so as Jonah is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, here, here God calls a great wind to come out upon the sea. And so Jonah finds himself in the midst of the, the sea, the raging sea of God's judgment. And as the ship begins to, to break apart, the sailors begin to question what's going on, what's going on, what is taking place here. They understand. I mean, they know what seasons to sail in. They know what seasons that they can go across the sea with, with little trouble. And they know what seasons the storms come. We know right now as we, we see a hurricane coming across the, the uh, Atlantic down there and, and coming towards Florida. We see this is a time of storms. And, and so in that day when they did not have radar and all of the great things that we have today they just knew on certain during certain seasons you're not supposed to sail because those are stormy seasons this was not a stormy season this was a, a, a time that was made for sailing and all of a sudden here in the midst of the the good months the stormless months Here's this great storm that blows up, and they understand that this is a storm like, unlike any other storm that they have ever seen. This is not an ordinary storm. This is a storm from God. This is a raging sea of God's judgment. And how do they escape the raging sea of God's judgment? They take the person who is the focus of God's wrath and judgment, and they hurl him over into the sea. And Jonah finds himself right smack dab in the sea of God's judgment for his rebellion. 
And as Jonah is sinking down in the sea of God's judgment for his sin, as he begins to drown in the sea of God's judgment, he knows that he is there because of his sin and his rebellion against God. He is right where he needs to be, where he is supposed to be for his rebellion and his disobedience against his Creator. Yet, as he sinks down into the sea, further and further down into the sea, as his life begins to to drift away from him, begins to fade away, Jonah says in chapter 2, verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You see, Jonah, as his life was slipping away, as he understood the reason that he was in the predicament that he was in was because of his own rebellion against God. And as his life was slipping away, he remembered the grace of God. He remembered the unyielding grace, the unyielding mercy of His God, Yahweh. And he says, I cried out to you. I cried out and you heard my prayer. Jonah repented of his rebellion. He turned away from his rebellion. He mourned for his rebellion and he found himself falling flat upon his face before the God of mercy and pleading for mercy. And he says, you heard my plea. You heard my plea. In the midst of your judgment, you heard my plea and you answered my prayer. In chapter 2, we see Jonah's his praise for God's, his, God's salvation. And it ends with that, that praise. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Praise God for Yahweh's salvation. And he rejoices in God's salvation. And that is part one of the book of Jonah. You see, Jonah is broken up into two parts. Part one is Jonah's story of salvation. He rebelled against the Word of the Lord. And when he found himself in the midst of God's judgment for his sin, he repented from his rebellion and found God's mercy and salvation. And he praises God for his salvation. Oh, dear friend, do you praise God for his salvation today? Have you come to that place in your life where you realize your rebellion, you realize the path that you were on was leading to a day of God's judgment for your rebellion against His Word? Have you fallen on your face pleading for His mercy and received it? 
Praise God. Praise Yahweh, our Creator God, for His mercy and grace. Praise Him. Praise Him for His salvation. And then we come to part two of the book of Jonah. And part two mirrors part one, but it has a very different ending. We see in part two of the book of Jonah, starting in, in chapter three, we get it begins much like the, the first part began. The first part begins with now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. But then in chapter 3, we get, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And so Jonah begins in chapter 3 obeying the word of the Lord. He has found the redemption of the Lord, the salvation of the Lord. And now he is more than happy to get up after he finds himself on the beach there. He's more than happy to get up and go and obey the Word of the Lord. I'm going to obey the Lord now. I'm going to get on track. And he goes into Nineveh, and he calls out against Nineveh the Word of the Lord that the Lord had given him. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And why was Nineveh about to be overthrown? They were about to be overthrown because of their sin, their rebellion against the Creator God. They were a pagan nation. A nation who though they, they see in nature the evidence of a great Creator. A Creator who is worthy of worship and praise. Yet they rebelled against Him and they chased after their vain idols. Because of their evil, their wickedness, that God says, yet 40 days and judgment will come, and this great city will fall. It was because of their wickedness. And so Jonah must have said, not only what we have recorded here, but Jonah must have said, it was because of your sin, your evil, your wickedness against the Creator that you are about to be judged. And what happened? What happened in Nineveh? It says there in verse 5 of chapter 3, and the people of Nineveh believed. God. They believed God and they called for a fast. And as the story continues, even the word of the Lord got to the king of Nineveh. And as the king heard the word of the Lord, he believed the word of God. And he, he took off his royal garments, his royal vestments, and he put them aside. And he put on his, his sackcloth and he sat in ashes. He humbled himself before the Lord, Yahweh, the Creator God. 
And he called across the nation and he said, he called for a fast. He says, let us fast. Let us not eat anything. Not, not, not one human being, not one animal in all of the kingdom is to eat or drink anything. But here's the word of the Lord and we're going to fall down on our face before the Lord. And who knows? Who knows? Perhaps the Lord will hear our plea for mercy and relent from the great disaster that He has planned for us. And what happens? What happens? There at the end of chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, how they repented, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them. And He did not do it. Here's Nineveh, that pagan nation. A nation worthy of the judgment of God. And yet, when they fall on their face before a merciful God, and they call out for mercy, God gives them mercy. And they find the salvation of the Lord. Praise God for our God of salvation. That a pagan nation can call for His mercy and receive mercy. Praise God for His salvation. Oh, what a time of praise and, and worship. What a time to, to sing out to the Lord for His salvation. As Jonah had cried out for, for, in praise to God for His salvation. Oh, what a time of praising God for His salvation. I'm reminded this morning of that incident that happened back in August of, of 2010 when you had the, the, the 33 Chilean miners were, were trapped down in that mine, over 2,500 feet below the earth's surface, trapped in a mine, and almost a month went by, and no sign of life. All of the world was looking at and focused on Chile, and those 33 miners hoping and praying for a miracle. And almost a month after the, the, the caves collapsed, the mines collapsed, finally they, they heard word. A, a, a drill bit had gone down into the earth and, and came back with a note attached to it and said, all 33 miners were alive. And for a month yet, they, they dug and dug and dug to try to get to those miners, hoping to get there in time. With all of the world on, on seat's edge, waiting and praying, oh God, deliver them. Oh God, deliver them. And when that day came, and they finally broke through and rescued those miners, the world celebrated and praised God for the deliverance of those 33 miners. And here we have Nineveh, that great city, 
with over 120,000 people. Here they have found deliverance. They have found salvation. What a great time of praise. But what does God's prophet do? This man whom God has used to, to bring about revival in this pagan nation. What does he do when this pagan nation falls on their faces before God pleading for mercy? What does this prophet do when, when God delivers them from judgment? What does this prophet do when this pagan nation puts away their, their evil gods, their pagan vain gods, and begin to cry out to Yahweh, the Creator? See, rejoice. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. <laughs> and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, Yahweh, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Here Jonah has just seen a great miracle. A nation who was worlds apart from Yahweh. Lost. On a road to damnation. And now they know Yahweh. They're crying out to God. Singing praises to God. And Jonah says, it's better for me to die instead of praising God for His salvation. Now Jonah is lamenting God's salvation. Oh, how could you save such a people as this? Oh, that we not find ourselves in the place of Jonah. But this is really where we begin to see God's mercy show up all the more. God's mercy begins to be revealed to us all the more in these final verses of the book of Jonah. Look there in verse 5, Now Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would happen, what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade, be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. 
Literally, that word there, the, the root of that word, is the same root that, that we see in the, the Hebrew words behind the word evil. That everyone, the Ninevite said, turned from his evil way from the violence that is in his hands. God turned away from the disaster, the evil that he had planned for Nineveh. And now we see God comes to save Jonah from his evil, his wickedness. As he is lamenting the salvation of the Lord his God. Jonah, you see, had climbed out. He had went out of Nineveh. And he, had, he had gone to a place there in the desert. And he kind of built a, a halfway kind of a shelter. That's what, a, uh, that's what he's talking about there. He just kind of built, gathered up a little brush the best he could there, best he could find out there in the desert, and he kind of piled it up and made him a hole in it to kind of cover himself from the heat and the elements. And he wanted to sit there and pout and, and see, just maybe, maybe, maybe they'll go back to being evil, maybe they'll turn back to their wicked ways, and, and God will deliver them. And I want a front seat to that, what he was thinking. God in His grace and His mercy. <laughs> Even while Jonah was sitting there sulking, caused a, a plant to grow up, a vine to grow up over his little place there to shade him. And thus begins the object lesson that God has for Jonah. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up, the next day God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. See, God in His grace, we see there God's undeserved mercy. We have to understand that even as Jonah is sitting there sulking and pouting as God brings up this vine, this is, this is another evidence, this is another act of God's mercy and grace. And we see God's mercy is completely undeserved. Jonah does not deserve that vine. God does not deserve God's mercy and grace. He does not deserve anything. In fact, if we were looking there, if it was us, if we saw this unwilling prophet sitting there pouting, we might go to him and say, well, look, Jonah, you, you obviously aren't on track with us. You, you don't have our vision. You don't have our mission. You're not on the program. So you just get out of here. But that's not what God said. That's what Jonah deserved. God says, I'm going to show you mercy once again, Jonah. Oh, aren't we so glad of God's undeserved mercy? But not only is God's mercy undeserved, but we also see here that God's mercy is boundless. 
As God causes that, that worm to come in, again we see God's sovereignty and we see creation obeying God's Word. The vine obeyed God's Word when He called it to grow up. And then we see a worm coming in and the worm obeying God's Word and, and coming and nibbling on the plant. He begins to nibble on the vine. And as you farmers Gardeners know what happens when a worm comes along and begins to nibble, nibble, nibble. Well, the vine dies, and that's what happened to Jonah's vine. Oh, this great vine that had been such a comfort to him is now gone. It's died. It's nothing. And he's back out in the heat again. And then God, on top of that, begins to, to, to draw a, a scorching wind to, to blow across. I read that a scorching wind, that includes it in the, the desert heat. Not only is it a wind blowing, but there's, there's particles of sand that's, that's kind of kicked up by the wind and just adds to a person's misery. And that's what was going on with Jonah. Not only was he, he feeling the heat, but you had, he had this wind coming across his face filled with the, the hot sand of the desert floor blowing on him. And he was just in misery upon misery upon misery. Jonah again cries out to God, God, just take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. This prophet who had pray, was praising God for his salvation is now even lamenting God's salvation for him. But yet God shows Jonah a lesson. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And Jonah should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons, 120,000 souls who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? See, God shows Jonah. Not only is God's mercy undeserved, but God's mercy is boundless. God's mercy is boundless. It does not know race. It does not know ethnicity. It does not know socioeconomic status. God's mercy is boundless. Jonah wanted God's mercy to be, be confined to Israel. That's your people, God. Why do you want to break out of Israel? Why do you want to come over here to this pagan land and bring your mercy here? And God says, Jonah, there's 120,000 souls in Nineveh. Souls who are created in my image and likeness. You are worried about vain things like vines. 
You were concerned about your own comforts and pleasures. Should I, the Creator, not be con- concerned about those souls who are created in my image and in my likeness. God's mercy is boundless. It, does, it isn't just for Israelites. It's not just for those who, who fit a, a certain class in society. It is not just preserved for, for those of a certain race. But God says, my pity goes to the nations. For God so loved the world. The world. All kinds of peoples. That He sent His only begotten Son. That whosoever throughout the world, throughout the nations, whosoever shall believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise God for His mercy. For we would not be sitting here today if it were not for God's boundless mercy. See, dear friend, we need to understand God's mercy. God's mercy, then, as we see it, is made most evident in Jesus Christ. It is made most evident in Jesus Christ. I want to turn briefly to the passage that David read earlier in Titus chapter 3. It was also part of our memory verse from last week. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Remember them to be, uh, remind them, talking to the church there that Titus is pastoring. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authority, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You see, that's what we were. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, His own pity, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, dear friends, we need to see ourselves in the light of God's mercy. We desperately need to see ourselves in the light of God's mercy. We were once disobedient, foolish, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That was us. 
We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God in His mercy and grace saved us. He saved us. It's not because we were good enough. It was not because God saw something good in us, but because of His mercy. We need to see ourselves in light of God's mercy. We were lost on the road to hell. Undeserved sinners. When God's mercy found us and gave us life. Furthermore, we need to see the world through the lenses of God's mercy. We need to see the world in the, through the lenses of God's mercy. All of the world out here lost Disobeying God. On the road to hell. They are in the place that, that we were. And they're on a road to a place that we deserve. And it's not because of anything good in us that we found mercy. We are no less damnable than the prostitute, the drug dealer, or the murderer down on death row. We are all sinners. Rebels against our Creator. And God was merciful and gave us life in Christ. We need to see the world through the lenses of God's mercy. We're no better than anybody else. All of the world needs God's grace and mercy. They need Christ. And so God invites us then. He invites us. God invites us to boundless evangelism. God invites us to boundless evangelism. That is the question that rings before us. As, as God leaves Jonah with that question, you have pity about such vain things as vines. Should I not have pity upon Nineveh? Should I not have pity over those souls created in my image and likeness? And that question is an, an invitation to Jonah and to us to boundless evangelism. To take the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. You see, the question that remains for us as we come to the end of Jonah is, will we react? Will we go out from this place with the heart of God for the lost in this world? Or will we go out with the heart of Jonah? As we look across the, the population of Bastrop and Morehouse Parish, as we begin to, to strategize how we will evangelize this city that w in which we live, is our strategy when we lay out our map, is our map going to be spotted? Is it going to look kind of like a, a, a milk cow where we got a spot over here and a spot over there and a spot down there in those neighborhoods that look like us and act like us and have the same economical status as us? Is that where we're going to evangelize? Because there's more souls here than just look like us. 
There are souls here who are, are, are poor and needy. There are souls here of other races who need Jesus Christ just like we do. And they're on the path to hell. And God says, shall I not have mercy on them? What will we do? Will we just reach out to those who look like us and act like us? Or are we going to have the heart of God and reach out to all of the people? Praying God that God would bring all of them to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the invitation for us. That's the invitation. Will we lay aside our prejudices? And will we go out with the heart of God to reach the lost? All of the lost for Jesus. Because let us answer the call, dear friend, of God's boundless evangelism. Because of God's grace, because God is so boundless in His mercy towards undeserving sinners like us, let us be boundless in our evangelism to all peoples. In the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Oh, may that be our heart and our prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, give us a heart for the lost. Lord, You love the lost so that You gave Yourself. You came and died on the cross giving Yourself for our sin. Lord God, let us not make so, so little of Your mercy and Your grace that we fail to share it with anyone. Oh, but Lord God, give us a fire. May it burn in the heart of First Baptist Church. Give us a fire for the lost, a burning for the lost. Give us your eyes of mercy, O oh God, that we may see the lost through your mercy and your grace. And we, may we give our greatest efforts. Our greatest efforts. To see those bound for hell come to know Your great salvation. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Perhaps you're here today and you don't know the salvation of the Lord. You're on the road to hell. 
You are on the road to judgment because of your rebellion. God's mercy is for you. If you turn away from your wickedness, just like Jonah, just like Nineveh, if you'll turn away from your your evil, your wickedness, your path away from God, and turn to God, God will respond. Trust in Jesus, and He will save you. For the church, we need to put aside our comforts, We need to put aside our vain worries about useless things. We need to get on fire for Christ and telling this lost world about the salvation that He provides. Dedicate yourself to Christ today, brother. And together as we respond to God's